0: Over the last couple of weeks we've been discussing the idea of identity because I think it's a problem for Christians trying to understand who we are and then live out that very life. And we've talked about how we listen to a lot of different voices that try to tell us exactly who it is that we should, we should be. A lot of those voices are from the past. It's a coach that cut you from the baseball team. It's a parent that continually was belligerent to you. It's an ex-spouse who every time something good was said, something poor was followed behind it. All these voices that keep reminding us of who others say that we should be. And what we've tried to do over the last few weeks is cut through all that noise so that we would be able to hear the very voice of God. As God is trying to shout over all the other voices, over all the other voices that have said, here is who you are, God has said, listen, I want you to understand that you are my child. And because you are my child, you are my dwelling place. And because you are my dwelling place, you are a new creation. You're not who you used to be. You're not who people used to know. Instead, you're something that is totally unique, totally different, because you are now wholly mine. Last week, we looked at the old idea that says that where you are is, is who you are. The idea that wherever it is that you are in your life station defines your identity. And so you have individuals that say, well, I, I'm, I'm middle-aged, or I'm, I'm in college, or I'm divorced, or I'm, I'm vice president, I'm middle management. It's all about where you are in your station of life. And we're told that wherever you are, well, that's just who you are. But we looked at the story of Joseph last week, and it was through looking at that that we were allowing God to say, wait a minute, that's not true. It doesn't matter whether you are in a pit or a prison, those locations, that station in life does not define you. It is not your identity because circumstances change day to day and hour to hour and minute by minute, but our identity remains intact. It's something that remains constant when we realize that we have been bought with a price, we are God's children, we're His dwelling, we're a new creation. And so it doesn't matter what station in life we are in. Well, I wanted to camp out one more week in uh, the story of Joseph. So you can open up your Bibles to Genesis. Uh, near the end of that particular book, Genesis, is the first book in your Bible, you can open that up, begin flipping, and we're going to settle in around chapter 39 this morning. I just want to give you a heads up right off the bat that uh, as I was thinking about this particular lesson, my heart... My heart was focused on my daughter. My heart was focused on her um, friends. They they all went off to a a middle school retreat, uh, thanks to Sean and Jordan and for all those who work with our youth for putting a great weekend on. Youngs, thank you guys for allowing the kids to go and be at your farm uh, over the weekend. But my heart was was on these kids and my, my heart was on those who are also in high school and in college. And so, as I share these things and the different things I talk about in this message, I want you to know that that, that is as I was preparing where, where my heart was going. Now, it doesn't mean if, if you're over the age of 30 that you need to um, tune out, okay? Don't do that because when you snore, it looks really bad. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. When those who are over 30 start to snore, things just gargle. I mean, there's just, there's, there's neck things that just roll right here. So don't, don't, don't go to sleep. Don't check out on me. But especially those of you who are of that generation. For those of you who are, who are parents and, and those of you who are my generation and down, you need to understand that the things we're going to share this morning about identity, they're going to be focused on you. So I want you to pay close attention and I want you to listen closely to the things that, that we're going to uh, share together. Um, I guess I need to start off by asking this question. Does anybody in here have a secret identity? Go ahead. Oh, wait a minute. If you told me, it wouldn't be secret though, right? Okay. Uh, My bad. Uh, Secret identities. This is something that really came to the forefront in American literature around the turn of the 20th century. And you can read stories like um, Pygmalion, and you can read about the Lone Ranger, and other, other things like that that really played up this idea of having a secret identity. And the purpose of the secret identity was so that the character could go and live just an ordinary life, a life just like everybody, everybody else. And so the secret identity was then, was then born. So though you may actually be a superhero or a super scoundrel, as long as you look like a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, nobody will know who you are. I mean, take this, aren't you glad he's wearing the glasses? I mean, if he wasn't wearing the glasses on, on that right side of the picture, and I would know exactly that that was Superman. But because he's got those glasses on, I just don't know. I just can't tell. I mean, it's a close resemblance, but I don't know. I mean, that, to me, that just looks like two different people. I mean, one is Superman and, and one is Clark Kent, right? One is the real deal and, and one is the secret identity. Thanks to a secret identity, a person can actually live two separate lives. You can be a billionaire playboy by day, and, and you can be a vigilante by night. At least there's more of a mask there, right? I mean, at least that, that helps. It's hard to tell exactly who's behind that cowl with that, with that menacing scowl that he's got going on there. Secret identities, they're so cool because you can be anybody that you want to be. You can have two separate lives, and let's be honest, no matter what age you are, we know what it means to live two separate lives. There's a life that you live with your small group, and then there's the life that you live with your ball team. There's a life that you live at home, and there's a life that you live at the office. There's the life that you live when you're in Chattanooga, and there's the life that you live when you're out of town on the business trip. There's the life that you live on Sunday morning, and there's the life that you live on Saturday night. And sometimes the distinction between these personas, the distinction between the secret identity and the real identity can become blurred. And we begin to look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, who am I? A- am I the person that, that some think me to be or am I the person that I, that I know myself to be? Who am I really? Are you the person that leads Bible study at the youth retreats or the person who curses in the hallways? Who are you really? Are you the person who is faithful to your spouse or the person who flirts with a coworker at the office? Are you the person who prays on Sunday morning? Or are you the person who parties on Saturday night? Which one? Or are you both? Do you have your secret identity so that nobody, maybe not even yourself, knows the real you? See, the question I want you to think about this morning is who are you really? See, that's the question that Joseph had had to answer. He was around the age of 20 when he ended up in a place called Egypt. He was sent there because his brothers had taken him, thrown him in a pit, going to leave him to die because they were just tired of him. But he was sold to some traveling Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt and there he is auctioned off and he becomes he becomes a servant to a man by the name of Potiphar. And there in Potiphar's household, he has the touch of God upon him. Scripture there in Genesis 37 actually says that, that he was someone he was someone who God, God's mercy and God's grace and God's presence was upon. That's who he was. And because of that, things in Potiphar's household prospered. There was nothing that was not left to Joseph. And he was in charge of all the areas of the household for Potiphar. And others noticed his Midas touch. And word began to spread about this young man. How could people not notice? Most significantly, women noticed him. Look in your text. It says in Genesis 39 and verse 6, Now Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Don't you like it when Scripture just lays it out and says, Hey, he looked fine. I mean, this was Hollywood A-list caliber going on here. I mean, this was Clark Gable. That's who he was. This was this was Robert Redford. I mean this this guy was Brad Pitt. This guy was Chris <laughs> Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. That's that's who this guy was. I mean ladies thought he was very impressive. And so it says in verse seven there of your text, and it came to pass that after these things that his master's wife cast a longing eye on Joseph. Look at how the text continues here. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. And she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Isn't that how it goes? You say no today. And yet Satan gives you an opportunity to say yes tomorrow. You say no tomorrow, and he will give you the opportunity to say yes the next day or the next day. It's a day after day because temptation is just so daily. This whole idea of giving up your identity, the whole idea of saying, listen, you can live two different lives. You can have a life that your parents know about and the life that your friends know about. You can have the life that you live with your coworkers, and you can have the life that you live with your children. You can have all that you want as long as you just keep up your secret identity. As long as you don't mix them up. As long as you don't forget who you really are. Because let me tell you, every single day, you will be given opportunity to declare who you really are. Every day day by day. Go back, I'm sorry. Now, I want you to notice what happens, though. It says, but he refused, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He didn't return the text. He didn't follow her on Instagram. He didn't Snapchat her. Whenever she called, he made sure that He didn't answer. He didn't put himself in a situation where his identity would be brought into question. Oh, he knew what she wanted. He knew the motives. And let's be honest, when he gave up his coat of many colors, he didn't give up his manhood. And there he was in Egypt, away from family, away from friends, away from his place of worship. And if he were just to agree with her, if he was just to do whatever it was that she asked, things could go so well for him. And who would know? Who would know? But he refused. Look at the next passage. He said, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. See, Joseph understood something here that I think oftentimes we forget. There truly are things in life that are off limits. Now we live in a culture that says that's not the case, that if it feels good, do it. And whatever you would want to enjoy, whatever it is that brings you happiness, this is what you need to be doing and this is who you need to be. And so we justify the choices that we make. We justify it because, well, it's not going to hurt anyone and it's going to benefit me. But Joseph understood, listen, there are things in life that are off limits, There are things that are withheld. There are things that we just don't do. Maybe you've justified the choice before. You've been jilted and you've been bruised. You've been sold out and turned away. You've had a run of bad health. You've had runs of bad luck. You've had runs of bad credit. Few friends, even fewer solutions, and you've wondered exactly as what you're going to do. The hours are long and the nights are longer, and Mr. or Miss Potiphar comes and slides their room key across the table to you. A friend slides a bottle in your direction. A coworker offers you drugs. You can pay personal bills with company cash. Nobody will be the wiser. No one will know. You've got your secret identity. You won't be caught. Everything will be fine. After all, you're only human. Let's be candid for a minute. Egypt can be a real nasty place. When that's the circumstance that you find yourself in. When you find yourself in a situation that is foreign to you. When you find yourself in a situation that is strange and different, it's not the bubble that you grew up with. It's not your Christian home. It's not your Christian school. It's it's not your church community. And Egypt can be a very strange place with a lot of strange people doing things that you have only heard about. And you've always been told, I need to say no. But when all of a sudden you're there in the middle of it, and when you're there experiencing it, you're like, what do I do? Just go lock myself in my dorm room? Do I just refuse to go to work. How do I handle this situation? No one disagrees that it can be very difficult living in Egypt. But we need to understand that it can be a Petri dish for just brainless decisions. Guys, no matter what age you are, but especially those middle school, high school, college, just out on your own, don't make matters worse by doing something that you will regret. So you're not in a station of life that you want. You're not as popular that you, as you wish that you were. You're not a part of the group. The job's not going the way that it, you would like it to. Yes, yeah, so you've got college debt. So all of these different pressures are on you. There's expectations for you to look a certain way, act a certain way, go certain places after work. Just because you're in Egypt doesn't mean you have to live like the Egyptians live because that's not who you are that's not your identity you're Christ you're God's child you're his dwelling you're a new creation and so as I said Joseph goes on high alert he recognized the poison that that she was and it's a very rare kind of resolve in a culture like the one we have today that uses terms such as consenting adults and sexual rights, we forget how immorality destroys the lives of those who are outside the bedroom and outside that relationship. See, the choices that we make, guys, don't just affect us. I had some great advice given to me one time. A person said, make a list of the lives that you would affect by sexual immorality. Just go ahead and make a list of all the people that would be impacted if if you broke the vows that you had made to, to Tanya. And so I have to put her on the list, and I have to put my children on the list, and I have to put church on the list, and I have to put the ball teams that I coach on the list, and I, I have to put members of the community on the list, and I have to put my parents on the list. And... I noticed it just kept growing and growing and growing because the choices that I make don't just impact me. And the choices that you make, whether you do it right now or whether it's later on in the future, these are not just decisions that you make that you say, hey, nobody gets hurt Because you look at our society, you look at your own classroom, you look at this church and you realize that the choices that people make affect others on the outside and oftentimes it's those who are the most innocent that bear the brunt of the fall and have the pain. So make a list of the lives that you would affect if you were to break your marriage vows. Or make a list of the lives that, that you would affect if you get the DUI. Make the list of the lives that, that you would affect if, if you can't control the addiction. Make a list of the lives that you will affect if you choose not to listen to the training that your parents or your grandparents have given you. Just go ahead, write down all the names and begin to see that it's a bigger picture and that your life is not just the sum of your individual choices, there's much more to it. Dads, would you intentionally break the arm of your child? Of course not. Such an action would violate every fiber of your moral being, yet if you engage in sexual activity outside of your marriage, you will bring so much more pain on your children than any broken bone could ever bring. Moms, you'd never force your children to sleep outside on a cold night. Yet if you involve yourself in an illicit affair, you will bring more darkness and chill into the lives of your children than a hundred winters could. And I understand I'm talking right there to moms and dads, but I'm doing so with the expectation, knowing that my daughter one day is going to grow up to be that mom. That we've got children that are sitting here in the room that are going to grow up one day and be that husband. And be that father. And you need to understand the expectations. And you need to understand the consequences of the actions. You see, if you're a single man or a single woman, you wouldn't desecrate God's holy scripture. You wouldn't make a mockery of the cross. And yet, when you engage in sexual activity outside of the marriage between a husband, male and female, and wife, you disregard one of God's most holiest commands. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Actions have consequences. And the great thing is when we read Joseph's story, we see that he placed his loyalty above his lust. He honored his master. Because here was the primary reason. It says in there in Genesis 39 in verse 9, he says, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? See, even though those things that I just brought up and talked about, the consequences, those are important and those are things you need to think about with all the choices that you make. And even though you need to understand, listen, the relationship, the covenant of marriage is something that is holy and to be kept sacred and honored, that is great. And you could make choices that could hurt your reputation and you could destroy the lives of a lot of people. But Joseph went way past that and he said, I can't do this thing because it goes against my God. It goes against my very identity where we realize that, okay, it's not just that I need to make choices based on consequences and who it might affect. I make my choices based on who I am, based on my identity. And here's the simple lesson that we learn from Joseph. It's very simple. Just do what pleases God. Do what pleases God. Your co-workers want to include you in a trip to a gentleman's club. What do you do? You do what pleases God. Your date invites you to conclude the evening with drinks at his apartment. How do you apply? You do what pleases God. Your friends hand you a joint to smoke. Your classmates show you the way that you can cheat and get away with it. The internet prov- provides pornography to watch. You ask the question and you answer it. How can I please God? Psalm 4 and verse 5, Do what is right as a sacrifice to the Lord and trust the Lord. Friends, you do not fix a struggling marriage with an affair. It's not the answer. A drug problem you cannot fix with more drugs. Debt cannot be overcome with more debt. One author says you can't fix stupid with dumb. And yeah, maybe you're in Egypt. Yeah, maybe everybody else is doing it. And maybe you want to be accepted and you want to move up the ladder and you want the promotion and you want the acceptance and you want everybody around you to know that you're one of the guys, that you're one of the girls, and you want to be the one that is included. But no group is worth sacrificing your identity. No group is worth sacrificing your identity. No group is worth sacrificing who you are in Christ. And so whenever you talk to, um, whenever you talk to young people, when that's your focus, you got to sing a lot. I don't know if y'all realize that. You go to Winterfest, you go to all these um, youth events, you always have to, um, have to sing. So um, uh, we're going to sing a petition. A petition to God. Asking that we live lives that honor him. Father God,
1: just for today, help me, Lord, the name.
0: I guess in many ways Thomas could have been a modern day Joseph. He was born in 1899 to a Baptist minister and a church pianist. He was exposed to music as an early at an early age and by the age of 12 he was beginning to incorporate into his own music the jazz of the African American community in the deep south. In his late 20s he went to Philadelphia and then to Chicago where he played in speakeasies and somewhere along the way He ended up in Egypt. He lost his identity. He forgot who he was. He forgot his faith. He compromised his lifestyle and he turned away from the conviction of his youth. And talent opened doors. I mean, the man could play, but his conscience wouldn't let him rest. And long nights on the road left him exhausted and weary. And finally, a relative reached out to him and urged him to return to God. At the age of 21, he did so. He had an encounter with God that later he wrote this. He said, My inner being was thrilled. My soul was a deluge of divine rapture. My emotions were aroused. My heart was inspired to become a great singer and worker in the kingdom of the Lord. And so young Thomas poured his energy energy into God honoring music. Rhythm and blues met worship and praise. And the result was a brand new genre of music that Christians across the country toe-tapped and sang to. He took the position as a music director at a Chicago church at the age of 26. He met the love of his life and was married. He began a publishing company and he founded the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses. And he worked with some of the greatest singers in the history of gospel music. By 1932, Thomas was enjoying the true blessings of God. He had a full throttle happy marriage, a growing ministry. There was a child on the way and life was good. But then one night after singing in St. Louis, Missouri, he left left the stage. It was handed a Western Union telegram and it simply read, your wife has just died. She had passed away in childbirth. Thomas hurried back to Chicago where his newborn son died the following day. And the musician, he just fell into this, this pit of grief and, and sorrow and, and mourning. And he wanted to return to his jazz music. He wanted to return to, to that other life that he had had in those early 20s. He wanted to return to the friends that he thought he needed. But acquaintance of him knew exactly what was needed. And so he took him to a neighborhood music school. And that evening as the sun was setting... Thomas sat down at a piano, and he began to play, and he prayed, and he poured out his heart to God, and these are the wonderful words that he wrote. Will you sing it with me? When my way roll a tree. Of his life, Thomas A. Dorsey testified that the Lord had brought him healing that night. As he sat at the piano, he went on to pen more than three thousand songs and become one of the most influential Christian writers of all time. All because he reached out to God in the middle of his Egypt. And we have lessons like this and when we talk about choices. You cannot help but come to the point where you just have to acknowledge and make it known and say, you know what? We've all made bad choices. We've all made bad choices and gotten into places where we feel lost and where we feel confused and we wonder, can we keep up the charade and what is it that we, what is it that we need to do? You see, turbulent times will tempt you to forget God. Shortcuts will try to lure you away. Sirens will always call you. But we can't be foolish and naive. We do not need secret identities. You do not have to be one person here on Sunday and another person in the classroom on Monday. You do not have to be one person at home with your children and another at the office with your coworkers. You don't have to be one person when you're out with your friends and another when you're with your spouse. We don't have to have a secret identity. Do what pleases God, nothing more and nothing less. Because here's the simple lesson of Joseph. You just be who you are no matter where you are. Be who you are no matter where you are. The text concludes by saying he left his cloak in her hand and he ran from the house. He was getting out of Dodge. He didn't care what the consequences were going to be and what it might cost him. He wanted to make sure that he was true to his identity. And so if you're in middle school or high school, Those of you who are right now in college, you're that young adult age, in your 20s going into your 30s, you're just starting to raise a family, you're trying to to make your way in the business world, no matter where life takes you, no matter what your Egypt turns out to be, if things get difficult and if things get tough, you remember the words of Thomas Dorsey, Precious Lord, take my hand. Take my hand. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are. And be courageous enough to let everybody know. See, the last couple of songs we've been praying are petitions. I want us to, play, to um, sing one that's a declaration. I want us to sing one that's a declaration that, that says, This is who I am. It's a song that our youth um, know. They sing this song a lot. It might be new to some of you um, who, if you haven't been in any of our youth meetings or on, or on any of our trips. But I got to tell you, the other songs, they, they, were, they, were, they were slow. They were contemplative. This song, this is a declaration. This is standing up and saying, listen, I belong to Jesus. And I belong to Him. And I don't care who knows it. So here's what I'm going to ask. I want everybody to stand up. And even if you don't know the song, you're going to listen to our kids and their parents and whoever else might know this, and then I promise you, tomorrow, when you are at work, tomorrow, when you're at school, tomorrow, whatever setting that you're in, this is going to start going through your head, all right? And your toe's going to tap a little bit, and your hand's going to clap a little bit. I belong to Jesus, I belong to Him, I belong to
1: Jesus, free from sin. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. I belong to Jesus, free from sin. He was lifted up. He, was lifted up. he paid a costly price. He, paid a costly price. He, bought the he bought me with the blood of His own love. Christ, the King, now reigning. He wears victor's crown. crown. Satan Satan was defeated. As the blood flowed down. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. I belong to Jesus. Free from sin. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. I belong to Jesus. Free from sin. lifted up He paid a costly price He He bought me with the blood blood. of His own life Christ the King king now now reigning He wears victor's crown crown. Satan was defeated When when the blood flowed I belong to Him. I belong to Jesus. Free from sin. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him.
0: challenge. Will you, will I live that identity today and tomorrow and the next day in the classroom, in the business room, at the restaurant, wherever it is that our life takes us will we live that identity and be who we are no matter where we are because we belong to Jesus and because we belong to Jesus we have an identity and that identity says we're a child of God we're his dwelling we're a new creation maybe you would like to receive that this morning maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ receiving that new identity or maybe hey let's just lay it out maybe you need to come this morning and say hey I've been living secret lives. I've got a secret identity. Maybe you need to come and repent and say, you know what? I need to live more like I truly belong to Jesus all the time. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to point. Nobody's going to laugh. Nobody's going to snicker and wonder what in the world have they been doing. If you need to come before God and say, God, forgive me and strengthen me, then I pray that you will do so. Remain standing as we give one more prayer to God. Come if you need.